coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together, another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. This is the Other Side of Hell podcast. It sure is. Do we say that? Yeah. Well, introduce ourselves. I am an alcoholic. I'd like to introduce myself by saying my name's Willie. I'm an alcoholic, mm-hmm. compulsive overeater, mm. working on all those things. Oh, How are you? I am Cameron. I'm an alcoholic and yeah. a compulsive overeater. By the time you will have this episode will have aired, Cameron will be 40 and two weeks or something. Yeah, because yesterday was your birthday. Yeah, yeah, it was Wednesday, but yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks, man. I think the world needs to know. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> and I, you know, yeah, I'm Cameron. You're 14 I'm, years old. I'm Cameron. I'm an alcoholic. I am uh, I am a uh, drug addict. I am a uh, compulsive overeater. And I am a habitual isolator. Yes, you are. That's how I know when you're in the food. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah. yes, I'm really working on being honest. I, well, you need to, yeah. Right? Otherwise, you'll isolate and fucking end up alone, which isn't what we want, right? And it's the opposite of what we want. I'm glad you brought that up because that is our topic for this week. Mm-hmm. For this episode, we will be talking about isolation, and addicts are, are great ones for it. We got it from our war story at Dana, who was super fun to talk to. Yeah, you know, yeah, she's great. She's super active. In the recovery community on on Instagram, you know, through a lot of the people that, that support us and we support, you know, Valor Fitness, um, Team 12, those guys, you know, that's kind of, I think, how we found her, you know, Grounded Phoenix, you know, all, all the, all those, uh, those other pages that I like to follow and, and be involved with, she's involved with, but um, she has a, an amazing story and it's going to be fun to share it. And that's where we got this topic from mm-hmm. because I could relate. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I don't know a single, well, I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I won't say it, but I would say that like 90% of um, the alcoholics or drug addicts that we talked to in the end, we're doing quite a bit of isolating. Yeah. You know, it seems pretty common 
that in the end, we, we have knowledge of our addiction. We have knowledge that it's a problem. And for me, like it, isolation is disguised as self-love, right? Like now. it's, yeah, now, right, yeah. right. And before really it was like this, just the level of shame that I felt is the reason why I was isolating. I knew what I was doing was unhealthy. I knew that what I was doing was perpetuating, you know, the, the damage. And I knew that, that I shouldn't be doing this. And so I didn't want anybody, I didn't want to share that with anybody. You know, I didn't want anybody else to see me in that state of mind. So that was the reason why I was isolating. Yeah. And people were starting to say something too, right? Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. People, people, where are you? Like, where are you going? Like, where, how why can you we ever see like you? That? Yeah. Like what's going on? Yeah. You know, and they were starting to, to notice like, like, like for me, they were like, you know, you might, you might want to slow it down a little bit. <laughs> oh, fuck. I it doesn't sound very fun. I don't know how to do that, really. Yeah, it, 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 because it didn't like register that that what I was doing was killing me. It was registering on other people, but mm-hmm. I wanted to continue to do what I was doing and get away with it. Yeah, like, I was still searching for that relief that it once brought me, mm-hmm. but was long gone by that point. You know, by by the end point was long gone, and uh, you know one of the best solutions for me to, in order to continue to get high the way that I was, was to do it by myself. Right. More often than not for me, it was with one other sick person. Yeah. Like that, that was the optimal place for me is me and one other sick individual just co-signing my bullshit. Yep. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how it was for me too. Like I had different stages obviously because my disease manifested itself at different times in my life. And, and there was, you know, definitely a heavy period where it was me and another individual who was like you said, co-signing on my bullshit. And, uh, and you know, we just fed off each other Mm -hmm. and we would isolate together and we would, we would, we would go to parties and we would leave parties so that we could go fucking use by ourselves, you know, like, because we're, we're, we want to get more fucked up than you guys. We don't want to do it in front of you. So we're going to bounce and fucking get fucked up for real. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing here, but this ain't what we do. Kind of slow. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, but you know, but then, you know, other times in my life, um, you know, I was absolutely alone. And, and I think it probably, it was, it probably led to a a quicker process of recovery when it was me doing it by myself, Mm -hmm. because it was clear, like I had nobody else. When I had that other individual, it was like, well, they're doing it too. So like, you know, like you said, co-signing on my bullshit. So it was like, well, they're doing it too. And they seem to be fine. Yeah. You know, just a part of the illusion. Yeah. But, you know, when it was just me, there was just no denying, like, boy, this is pretty miserable. Yeah. You know. I can relate with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there, there I mean, that, that was kind of like a, a physical isolation, right? Like we would, we would like, you were, like you were saying, we'd go to the party. The party wasn't going exactly how I wanted it to go. I wasn't getting out of whatever that situation was that I needed in order to fulfill my desires with inside of myself. And so I would physically isolate. I would go to where I could, you know, smoke meth openly. Mm, right. Right. Because for whatever reason, it's, un, it's frowned upon to pull out a meth pipe in a bar <laughs> and just start smoking meth. But that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right? And so I would leave and isolate that way. But but on a deeper level, you know, I think 
the emotional isolation that comes along with drug addiction is, is worth talking about, right? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's an entirely different level because that comes far before the physical isolation, I think. You know, I started emotionally isolating, you know, maybe even before I was even an addict. I don't, I don't know, before I became completely uh, immersed in the drug world. And so uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's that level of isolation too. And then, you know, I think what goes along with that emotional isolation is spiritual isolation as well, mm -hmm. you know, where we separate ourselves, you know, um, spiritually from, from whatever connection you need. Right. And so all those things kind of happen. And for me, isolation came from a place of, you know, emotional isolation came from a place of, of being feared, fearing harm. Mm. Right. Like, like I didn't want to share my emotions because at some point in my life, I shared these emotions. They weren't well received. Uh, it created embarrassment or a negative reaction emotionally within me. And I decided, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not sharing my emotions anymore. Yeah, your expectations weren't met. Right. In that instance. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Can you relate with oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, as you were saying that, like I just started thinking about how, yeah, I was definitely emotionally isolating before to where, you know, like I, I didn't have the courage to talk about what was really going on, yeah. you know, and it would just keep me, it would keep me from, from getting into any depth conversations with anybody. And eventually I would just stop talking to those people because there would be that fear that the conversation was going to turn that way yeah, and that I wouldn't have the strength or courage to continue to lie to this person. And so it's like, <laughs> I'm just not going to talk to you anymore, yeah. you know, because like, it's not like I, I can't have an interaction with you and leave feeling good about myself. So I'm, I'm just going to remove myself altogether, you know, and it, and it got that way with like my family and yep. some friends, like there was never anybody that I could talk to or spend time with that they weren't addressing or trying to address the problem that I was dealing with, right. you know, that was so obvious to everybody else and, and in a way obvious to me too. But I, you know, like I, I wanted to believe that I could handle it by myself. You weren't ready. Yeah, exactly. Well, sure. And I wasn't ready. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, I was for sure like disconnecting from everybody. And today, like that is still a way for me to, to stay disconnected. And 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 like I said, like today, it, it kind of it, it manifests itself in a different way. Like it it's sneaky. It's yeah. it's cunning. It's baffling. It's powerful. Like like the, the things we all know and, and we hear all the time, you know, like now it disguises itself as self-love, you know, like it will always say, dude, you deserve some me time. You deserve some me time. Like, why don't you just go? <laughs> and I, I, I laugh because I feel like I've said this a thousand million times on this show. Like, why don't you just go and get all your favorite foods rent a couple of movies and just chill by yourself on the couch. Like you deserve that. You work hard. Disconnect and disconnect. And yeah. that's exactly Keep what it compressed. does. Because the thing is, is that I can't, I, I can't do behavior like that because I, I know it's negative. It's bad. It's not, it's not in the end, it's not good for me, you know? And I know that it's the disease disguising itself because after it's all said and done, I don't feel good about it. And, and that to me is like evidence proof, like, Hey man, like if I can't feel good about it, like then I shouldn't be doing it, you right. know? And, and the minute that I get into that mode where I can't, I can't feel good about it, 
then I have a hard time talking about it. And then it just compounds and, and, and builds on each other. Like, well, when am I going to start talking about this stuff? Like, when am I going to actually deal with this stuff? Like through sharing and being vulnerable, like mm-hmm. you said, you know, like, because that's the only way to grow from it or move past it. And, and for me, like I have a, a hard time doing that, you know, I'm really, I'm really working on that right now, you know, like just being completely open and honest with, you know, the, the, the struggle that, with food that I have, you know, and isolating because those two are, are hand in hand for me. Like, it's not very often that I make a poor food choice openly, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like for me, like it's something that I do in secret, in isolation, you know, just like I used to do in the end with alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So I can relate with all that. Like, like I 100% agree, man. And, and it brings me to whatever, you know, I came into the rooms of AA this last time, uh, isolated, like we're talking about, man. And and that's, what's so great about this, this program and, and the ability to change your life because one of the things that other people could see that, right? Like, like I was broken enough that I was willing to, to at least show up to a place where people were getting well. Yeah. And, and what's the first thing, what, what's the main thing that they say to the newcomer? Keep coming back. Yeah. Right. Right. Because it's such a common part of the illness, this mm-hmm. isolation thing. And, and those of us who have been on the path for a while know that. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't it doesn't take it away, you know, and I don't know that isolation is is just like uh, specific to alcoholics, drug addicts, because I, I really don't think it is, you know, but I think it is important that that I remember what it was like being isolated and the way that that felt and my desire to not be so isolated, because um, I agree with you, like there is a big difference between self-love isolation and self-harm isolation, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's what we do with that isolation because mm-hmm. we're, we're two-parted, I think, you know, like, like there is a part of me that gets a lot of growth out of isolation when I'm, when it's done correctly. You know, I've shared about these yeah. things like, like going on the walkabout, right. being alone and, and reflecting. And, and when we do our, our morning meds, like prayer, meditation, reading, all those things, you know, we tend to do those things alone or with one other person and, and one other trusted friend or loved one will will do those things with, you know? And so like, there can be a lot of good that comes out of that type of isolations. And then there's also the isolation that we've been talking about that, that self harm isolation. It's so baffling on whether it's the right fucking thing to be doing or not. Right. Because I'll I'll come from a place like out of fear, I'll be, I'll be living in fear. Right. I think I need to remove myself from every situation to gather whatever. Like. Right. It's like crawl under a, wa- a rock. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to crawl under a rock for a minute because everything's sort of just frightening the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that, man. Like, and, and it's almost like I want to separate, like, I almost want to like call those like two different things because I'll do the same thing, you know, like I'll go uh, up to the woods, you know, and, and, and have an overnighter where I'm completely alone. And it's almost like I want to separate, like, no, there's times where I'm alone and there's times where I'm isolating. Sure. You yeah. know what I mean? And isolating is like just so much different for me than, than being alone. But you're absolutely right. Like it depends on what I do with that time. Like, am I spending that? And I think about this all the time. Like, am I spending that time in the disease or am I spending it in the solution? Mm -hmm. And like, if I'm spending it in the disease, then it is is not time well spent. Like, 
it is it is definitely not self love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, if I'm spending it in the solution, then I have nothing to feel bad about. And like, what does that look like for you? It's some deep reflection, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or what else? What else? Give me some examples of of some healthy ways you might isolate her today. Uh, well, I, I I think that that what you're saying is is true. Like, I think labeling it helps me, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I agree when I hear the word isolation, I think negative. Right. I think that's a negative thing. And, and, uh, and so, you know, one of the things, like one of the things that I have to do is recognize that that's what I'm trying to do is, is, uh, the disease will compound itself upon me. Right. Like, like one thing will happen and it's like adding these heavy stones to my bag. Like, Here's a disease stone. I'm going to carry this around for a while. And it pushes me closer to negative isolation. And when I, when I, when I get deeper and deeper into that, there's a couple of things that happens. Eventually, I notice that I'm there. Mm. But it takes me a little while to notice that I'm there because I'm, like, uh, distracted from my career. I'm distracted from my obligations. I start making excuses. And when I realize that I'm in that point, then, then I look at maybe... I need some time, right? I need some of this me time, this self-reflective time. And so I, um, one of the things that I do is like, I discuss it with Avery. Mm. Like, like yeah. I'll make sure that everything's okay for me to go do this. Cause usually when I do it, it's like a heavy thing that I do once a year and it's over the course of a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Like really decompress. Yeah. Really, it, really decompress. And so, uh, I'll start it with intention. Like, what am I trying to get out of this time? What, how am I feeling? Like, what am I avoiding? What are the responsibilities that I'm, uh, cause ultimately that's what my isolation does is it takes me away from the responsibilities that I have in my life and everything gets fucking scattered all over the place. And then I feel like everything's mm. a mess Yeah, and I got to try to gather it all up and clean it up and get it organized. And so I'll, I'll plan it. Right. I'll have a plan because as you're finding out, like, like it ain't all about me. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have responsibilities and I don't want to be that guy that like throws all my responsibilities away just to go make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. I don't have that luxury. And so, you know, uh, I'll discuss it with you. Like I'll call you up and I'll be like, fuck. Yeah. Here, here I am. I'm in this place, you know? Fortunately, sometimes people call me out on like, right. well, where the fuck are you? You know, and, and I have to get honest about the fact that I'm trying to avoid my feelings, you know, because I still do that. Mm. I avoid and avoidance is isolation, right. right? Not facing my life on a day to day basis. And so, um, you know, I'll plan it. I'll take take the time to get intention behind it because having intention behind your alone time. Uh, is is very important so that when I do go, I know that the desire to go buy all my snacks right. and rent a movie yeah. and get a hot tub and just get a bubble bath and relax is is going to come up. Yeah, you know it's going to happen. It's oh yeah, pamper me. That's yeah. what I deserve. There's some fucking thing in our culture and in, in well, in in myself. I I think it's in our culture. I see it everywhere. Like you just people just don't fucking take breaks good they (laughs) fucking eat a bunch of bullshit fucking make it worse go out you know a lot of people like like to go to the 
on vacation, go to Mexico and get an eight ball or whatever the fuck it is they do. But, you know, so I go through and I, and I do this stuff with intention, like, fuck, I have to try to come out of this better than what I'm going into right. it with. I have to. Yeah, that's the goal. If I, if I don't, then what the fuck's the point? Right. You know, if I come out worse or the same, then all I did was waste my time. Well, because you're, you are, like you said, like you are, you do have responsibilities that you're putting aside in order to do this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it had better be worth it. And and it's important to do it though, right? Because, because the disease, like you said, is cunning, baffling and powerful. So if, if I don't stop and I don't reset, which is one of the things that I call it, you know, I I call it a cleanse, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if I don't do that, then it's, it's almost like a strangling vine just fucking just gets tighter Tighter. and tighter and tighter and tighter around me. And, and eventually it'll suffocate me to the point where I don't know what'll happen. You know, I don't know if I'll snap. I don't know if I'll fucking break. I don't know if I'll break character to the point where it's not clean up. You know, I'm not able to clean it up, clean up the mess, whether it's an anger snap or, you know, something like that, because I have this tendency in the past, like I've, I've blown up to the point where people were harmed. Yeah. You know, and that's a fear for me, you know, and, and hurting other people physically because of my inability to manage my emotions as something that I think about. And so there has to be some level of self-care that comes from a place of like, I need to go take care of this stuff, but I don't get to isolate. In right, it. right, right. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, it just, it, it takes me back to, you know, those, those moments where it's like, well, how am I choosing to spend that time? So I really appreciate like your your idea of really analyzing that like before, because I've, I've been there, dude, where like, I'm literally driving. I'm, I'm, I've got my backpack packed. I've, you know, I'm, and, and I've got my food or, or in this last instance, you know, I decided I was going to fast. So I had liquids and water, you know, and, uh, I'm on my way up or I'm even walking to this destination where I'm about to spend the next 24 hours, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of reflect and do some self work and, and fast and, and whatnot, you know, alone. And I have that part of me that's like, it's not too late, dude. You could, <laughs> you could go, you could turn around right now, go get a hotel room, you know, around, around town. Like you ain't, you ain't gotta go up to the woods, man. You could just, Go to this hotel room, you're alone, get a pizza, get a, get some snacks, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and it almost has me convinced. Like there's these times where it's like, there's, there's times where I'm really good at stepping back and going, yeah, of course I'm thinking that way. Like that's the disease, you know? Yeah. Like that's, and then there's other times where I'm like, yeah, it does kind of sound cool. Huh? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and it really, it really depends on like where I'm at spiritually. Like, and am I talking about this stuff? Mm -hmm. Like I have those thoughts. Like, is that like, am I, am I okay with sharing that with other people? Because there's times where it's like, I'm so ashamed that I'm even having these thoughts that I don't want to talk about it. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, you, you know that you are a compulsive overeater. You know that you're an alcoholic. So of course you're going to have these thoughts. Like it's okay to talk about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I just, I have that, that thing inside me, that innate like protection, like you said, like, I don't, 
there's that fear, right? Fear of rejection. Like I'm going to tell somebody that's so bad about me that they're just going to reject who I am. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the, the behavior that has me wanting to isolate. That's the fear that has me wanting to isolate is like, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see how, how unworthy I am of your attention and your love. And, and so I'm just going to skip that process and go right to, I'm not saying nothing to nobody, Yeah, you know, and this is just me doing my thing. Yeah. Cause I can handle it. Yeah. Because why, why not? Like this is like, I'm, I'm just me here alone. Like I can, I can handle yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, sharing that stuff and having it well received is, is very important. And we've, we found right. That it usually is, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the fear that we're going to be rejected is such bullshit, dude. It's such a fucking lie, but it doesn't make it any less convincing inside of my head. Right. It, even at this point, you know? And so, so some of the things that I have to do is run that tape through and be like, if Cameron came to me with this same thing, am I going to reject him? Mm. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I going to say to him? You know, but, but giving myself the advice that I would give somebody else doesn't work for me. That's what makes this community so important. Like, like I fucking, I, I, I talked myself out of using all the way up to a pipe in my mouth. Like, okay, fuck, I'm not, right. I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go see, see my buddy. I just got to fucking, I'm isolating. I need to get out, you know, and not having a plan or, or like, like just, just going with that emotion has tricked me into relapse in yeah. the past, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it's it's definitely tricked me into food relapse oh, over yeah. and over and over again. And so, you know, one of the things that we do do also is, is like when we go out on these things and we're doing self-care instead of isolation is like we, we write while we're there, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we do some writing oh, on, yeah. on some things. And, and these are these are universal principles, man. You know, these are these are things that are a good idea anytime. But we, we write and mm-hmm. we, we write out what it is we're doing and, and I appreciate what you're talking about. Like when you go out to do this stuff and I'm I'm not sure how we got on the topic of taking care of ourselves after isolation like this, but you know, you you mentioned fasting. Yeah. Right? Another thing that we do uh, which is a good idea is take a vow of silence, like shut the fuck up, hmm. you know, don't, don't pay attention to what lies you're telling yourself. So if, 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 if I go to do one of these cleanses so that I'm doing self care, not isolation, because the world around me is, is getting overwhelming, right? I'm an, I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. And so I have the disease that's going to try to convince me that this overwhelming nature of the world needs to I need to separate myself from that and do harmful shit to myself in order to get through whatever this life situation is or many life situations, which for me is just work, home, kids. Yeah, it's nothing like like it's It's all normal. Yeah, it's regular shit. Yeah, just fucking everybody deals with it. It's just a little bit more intense for me (laughs) because fucking this. Right. And so. I'm going with intention. Like if I have a plan, like, so, okay, I'm going to go and do this thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to do a vow of silence. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to go, I'm going to fast, or I'm only going to eat this food. I'm going to go and I'm going to write about these things. And then I take kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's on me. It's my responsibility, especially if I share those things with you 
to make sure that those things happen, mm-hmm. right? So that when the idea of stopping and getting a bottle or stopping right. and, and getting a pizza or or fucking just going to Vegas and going to a, a whorehouse or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Because all those things are going to come. Yeah. Hey, you got a free pass. Like the wife knows you're leaving town. You're not going to be calling anybody. Why don't you go fucking throw caution to the wind and just yeah. really fuck your life up? Now's I know the that, time. <laughs> I know that that's coming. And I can go, okay, wait a minute. I knew that this was coming. And here's my plan against that. Like, I think for this moment, I'm just going to go ahead and keep driving to my destination. And that's what seems yeah. to have worked in the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's really all I can do or, or that we can do is just like, hey, I, I have this plan. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to make any decisions yet. That, like what I'm going to do. And, and for me, like, it's funny because you and I have talked quite a bit about food, obviously, but um, we, we always hearken it back to those early days of recovery. And it's like, dude, like, was, was it ever this hard? Was, was not drinking and using ever this hard? And, and, and we say that because we're down the road a ways. Right. And so sometimes it's hard to remember, like, was it ever this hard? And I, and I think that it was, but we're, we're able to see that now from a different perspective and because it's manifesting itself in a different way in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're able to go, dude, like this is fucking me up. Like, yeah. I, you know, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite know, you know what to do. And it's like, well, just like back in the day, the same thing applies. Like what I have to do is talk about it. I have to take it one day at a time. I have to take advice from others. And, and sometimes it's all I can do to really just fucking do the next right thing, yeah. you know, like really like just do the next right thing. And it's like, you hear that all the time in the rooms and it's great advice for newcomers and it's great advice for anybody, but to really step back and say, you know what? Like, I'm not going to make any decisions right now. Yeah. Like I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do what I know I need to do right now. Yeah. And for me, sometimes it's like, I'm just going to drive home. Just going to drive home. I'm not going to stop anywhere. You know, like I'm just going to drive home. Like maybe later if I decide that I want something to eat that I don't have at home, I'll leave. I'll leave the house. But right now, like I'm just going to drive home. And then later on, you know, like same thing will apply. Like I'm just going to stay here. You know, like one action at a time, one action at a time, you know? And so like, that's, and that's the way that I have to do that shit now. And it's just so much. So, I mean, you know, like we've talked about it, like it's so much how it was like back in the day. So yeah, it was this hard, Yeah, you know, like I, and I have to handle it the same way and isolating just like back then, like in early recovery, dude, it was not good for me to be alone. Fuck no. You know, like, and it was not good for me to not share my thoughts openly. Yeah. Fuck no. Like, because there would be times where, you know, like I wouldn't share and I, or, or I wouldn't open up and then I would be shy about sharing and I would finally share that thought with somebody and they're like, yeah, of course that, of course you're thinking that way. (laughs) I was thinking that way an hour ago. I was thinking the same way, you know? (laughs) And it's like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Like, of course I need to talk about this stuff. Of course I need to be open about it. Like it's the only way I'm going to advance, you know? Uh And so for me to be in isolation and alone, like that's not a good place at all. No, it's, it's just a way for me to live in the disease and perpetuate the cycle. Mm -hmm. And, and that's exactly what it was when I was using and drinking. It's exactly what it is today. You know, when I'm in the food, as they say, like it's, it's the same thing applies. Mm -hmm. So I really like that about, 
Adina's story because she got into that. It seemed to be when we realize it's a problem and we, we know that we shouldn't be doing this anymore. We know that, that, uh, that there's a new sort of level of shamed our behavior that we really begin isolating in that same way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We got to We got to feed the beast. Right. And, and not everybody allows us to do that. Like Dude, it, we have too many people that love us. <laughs> unfortunately, you know, that's like, the and case. that's a problem. That's a problem Sometimes. for us. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, you know, it, it really is. And, but, you know, um, yeah, fuck. Isolating. <laughs> fuck isolating, man. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like, I'm just glad that it doesn't have to be that way today. Like, you know, I, and, and, and the solution is still the same. Yeah. It, well, and, and you have to experiment with it, right? Like for whatever reason, we were fortunate enough to, to get the desire to get sober. Like the desire came in a, such a strong way that we were willing to do the things that were suggested, su- suggested. Right. And so like we started with the little things in early sobriety, like, like not drinking, mm. like for, for 24 hours. And, and we went through that shit and I wanted to run and I wanted to hide and I, I wanted to not talk about it and I wanted to use and all those things. But I showed up, they said, keep coming back. And I did. Right. And they said, read this book. And I did. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when when we share openly, like, hey, I feel like isolating, I feel like not being a part of, you know, and that's well received. It helps us be safer in the world around us. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and so the more that we do that, the more that we're able to do that for somebody else and, and pass that thing on to other people. Because the solution seems to be very similar for all of us on this side of the table. Right. The disease manifests itself in a way that we have a brain evolved to keep us alive with a mind that wants to kill us. And it's going to take anything that it can to separate me from you so that it can get me alone. Mm. The disease wants to get me alone, Mm -hmm. feed me a bunch of lies to the point where I'm going to consume so much that it kills me. And, and like, I don't, I don't want to be in that place. Right. I just, I, I don't want to die an alcoholic death. And so I'm willing to do the things that are scary. Yeah. I'm willing to be vulnerable and talk about it regularly. Yeah. Like regularly, like all the time, you know, and I don't want, it's not like, it's not like I spend 23 hours a day in fear, you know, because it's not, it just seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I have to take, and I have to ask myself is what I'm feeling and what I'm telling myself even true. Right. Is this even fucking true? Like, like, like what are the facts? Yeah. 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 You know, finances are a huge one for, for everybody. That's, that's not an alcoholic issue. Right. That's a human issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you take the, the, the issue of finances, you know, everybody worries about money that everybody has moment to moment, probably daily where they think, am I going to have enough? Yeah. You know, that fear kicks in and then. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to ask about it. I don't want to share about it. I want to come over here and not feel it. And what's the best way for me to not feel it? Like take something from out there and put it in here. And that's what I'm convinced of. I need to take something from out there and put it in here so that I don't feel this fear that I have around my finances. And, and then I have to stop and be like, 
Hold hold on. I I fucking recognize. Yeah. Oh, what's up, big dog? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's having a good day and you found a way to creep in my brain and convince me that I'm not going to be okay. Is that even true? And then I I roll through and I think about what's in the bank, I think about what's coming out, I think about what's coming in. And I can usually by the end of, you know, three or four minutes be like, I'm, I'm fine right now. Mm-hmm. I'm fine right now. I'm fine. And that's usually enough to get me through the desire to isolate, separate and hide. Yeah. You know, if I can go, I'm fine right now. And that's most of the time I'm fine right now. Yeah. Like <laughs> 99% of the time I've had very, very few real issues since getting sober. You know, it's all been imaginary and emotional. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to think about it. Um, I, I would say the exact same thing. Like there's been very, very few, you know, actual problems that I've had. But man, I've gone through some shit mentally, you know, <laughs> just yeah. some back and forth with my my own mind and, and, yeah. and the way that I battle with things, you know, in an attempt to to sabotage. Yeah. You know, really, it's just that part of me that wants to to sabotage all the time. Yeah. And so I, I, I get that, man. Like it's, it's, it's just so strange, you know, it's, and, and I really like what you said because it's not, it's not just an alcoholic thing. Like I think that a lot of people with depression have a tendency to isolate, you know, and and I know I've done that from a depressive state, you know, and, and it's, and a lot of times it's for the same reason. It's like just that fear of rejection. Like I'm already have this low self-worth. I have low energy level at that point, you know, and, and I don't want to be around people because I don't want them to see me in this state of mind, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and I think COVID has made it really, really hard you know, for, for people with depression, with the disease to not isolate, like we've had to take new steps to be active in order to, to, you know, to get out of that isolation or that isolative state or emotional isolation, like you said, you know, so it's definitely, I'm like, I'm really grateful that, you know, where we're at, they've lifted all the, there, there's no mask mandates. There's, you know, pretty much everything is, is full open yeah you know, everything's kind of a choice because you know the masks really did set me off in a path of isolation where uh i would show up physically but emotionally and, and mentally i was not fucking there especially wearing a mask like there's something about uh seeing your face as you talk to me that's super important to my psyche yeah you know and i don't think i'm alone in that right you know? and and navigating through this i think if i didn't have uh, sobriety, uh, community, this recovery community. And then, then my fitness community that I'm in, if I didn't have that online and have people that are close to me personally, that were able to be around me and show emotion, I'd have been fucked. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. like, that's the reason why we need those people. Like, like we, we, as a, as members of a 12 step program, we have those people outside of here, we have a community of, of people who, who suffer from the same disease that we do. And, and, and they're therefore able to, to share their struggles in a way that, that helps us navigate our own, you know, instances of, of, uh, of sobriety or frustration or whatever the case is, you know, but we've had to find a new community online because we're not able to, to attend to the old ways of, of, 
that old community, right? right? So we've had to adapt. We've had to to really sort of navigate this new, quote unquote, new way of being. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, it is cool to see things here, at least in Utah, like things are sort of getting back to normal. Like in the U.S. as a whole, like I think things are, are generally moving forward, at least more so than we hear about Canada, right? Yeah. Um, but but also like in that way, like it's weird to me now that that the things that are weird, like, you know, we were at we were at an event yesterday for for my birthday where there was 40 of us. Nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's socially distancing. You know, we're in a restaurant that's at full capacity. Nothing's altered. Nothing's changed. It's all completely normal. And it's weird. (laughs) It's weird now. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess, I guess, I don't know what my point of that story is or, or, but, you know, just talking about COVID, like it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we're going to have to deal with, you know, like, like just navigating any of these situations. Like, yes, we're going to find ourselves in these instances where isolation is, is easier. I know for me, like I always, 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 the minute that I find out that my wife is going to do something that that's going to keep her away all day, or she's doing an (laughs) overnighter somewhere else. Like I'm like, sweet, I'm going to isolate. I'm isolate, you know, intake, intake yeah, and yeah, isolate. Exactly. Like, and, and that's my first thought. That's my go-to thought, you know, yeah. like that's the, Hey, the party's on like, well, the cat's away, you know? Yep. And this PS, this is not something I'm ever going to tell her about or tell anybody about, you know, like I'm not going to be open about it. I'm not going to be honest about it. So it's like, Oh, cool. I've given this moment of complete freedom and isolation and I'm going to choose it to live in the disease. Right. Yeah. Like this is what we were talking about, you know, like, and, and I've gotten better at, you know, recognizing that and saying, okay, well, it's actually a great opportunity for me to do something else, like something positive, yeah. you know, and try and swing it that other way. You yeah. know, it doesn't all, like, it's not always in my favor, but if I, if I talk about it and I share it with other people who know what I'm dealing with, then I am definitely more likely to be successful in that avenue mm-hmm. and more likely to move past that and, and to find myself in a place where, you know what, I'm not actually going to do that. Like I'm, I'm going to do the, just the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. come back to that, come back, come back to the solution, which, yeah. is, which is where we all want to live. And, and, you know, I, I, I dig it, bro. Like mm-hmm. I, I dig being on a healthy path that's better for me than it's ever been. That's better for the people around me because this feels so much better than the old violent, selfish, isolating, hiding, sneaking person that I once was, that was ultimately at the end of the day, I was trying to be safe, feel safe and feel fulfilled. I was just doing it in all the wrong ways. Right. You know, I was doing it in ways that, that were killing me, that were destroying the people around me emotionally. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for all this stuff. You know, I'm so grateful for a program. I'm so grateful for a solution, you know, that, that you just got done talking about mm-hmm. the ability to move past the lie that I will try to convince myself, you know, and it, it, it's been worth it. You know, my life has been worth it. So dig it. Yeah. Yeah. It sure has been, man. You know, but I, and, and I like, I like how you brought up COVID and, uh, isolation, well, COVID and 
the online community and Instagram because that's a huge part of Dana's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a huge part of her recovery. Yeah, she she uh, she got out of treatment right in the balls of it. Yeah, right when <laughs> it was in the thick of it. Here, really fucked up her her treatment plan, you know, because she was in treatment and and so you know, let's what do you say? Should we talk a little bit about Dana? Well, Adana? yeah. I always sure. want to say Dana, but it's Adana. Adana, yeah. No, I mean it was a, it was it was a great story, dude. She's she's, you know, she gets into quite a bit of detail about uh, you know what led her into into sobriety, which which I appreciate. You know, like it's sometimes it's 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 crazy to hear, you know what what just how much wreckage there was before yeah. we were able to 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 do the deal, right? Yeah. And so Mass I'm grateful. Consumption. Yeah, I'm grateful that she's on this side of the table with yeah. where she's at. Super active, uh, and I love it. And so, um, I think she, I think she does a great delivery of her story, and she she tells it really well. So, what do you say? With, yeah, uh, she like I always like to say she 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 can tell it better than I can. Yeah, so very true. Without further ado, here is a Dana's war story. My name's Adana, and I have 169 days uh, clean and sober today. Um, Willie asked me on here to share my story, and so hopefully it will help somebody out there. Um, I had a very good home life. Uh, My parents are still married. I have two older brothers, Um, the baby, only female. Um, What I've learned more as as an adult, um, is a lot of my trauma was related to, um, being diagnosed ADD, um, in the early to mid nineties, my mom would actually have to show up and give literature to the teachers because they didn't know what it was. I was the only kid that was taken out of class, um, to go get my Ritalin, um, teachers would kind of decide each year whether they wanted me on Ritalin or not. So there was a lot of bouncing, um, around, you know, off and on medications, which obviously can mess you up a bit. And, um, there was a lot of judgment. It was, you know, that you, I was very much typecasted. The teachers, you know, knew who I was, uh, before I even started. So, you know, it was, um, that, um, did bring, you know, a lot of, um, insecurities and stuff into my life. I think that I always felt a little bit less than, um, because of that, um, the typecasting became worse and worse each year with the teachers. And by my, by middle school, um, I was very much against any type of authority. Um, hugely disrespectful. I started getting a lot of trouble at school. Um, one of my saving graces, I would say, um, is I've always had really good friends. Um, I'm out with the kids that were, you know, had their stuff together. And I was always kind of the, the wild one, you know, and, and they really kept me at bay a lot of the time. Um, so I was grateful for that. Um, I did have a sexual experience, um, in intermediate school that was not wanted and it definitely, uh, fucked with me quite a bit. And, um, 
my behavior, I think, became even more outlandish at that point, to the point in seventh grade where um, I threatened a substitute teacher, told her that I was going to kill her um, because she wouldn't let me go to the bathroom because she knew it was just me trying to get out of class for a while. She was smart, um, but I was, you know, a little shit. I almost had to, like, she was going to... Uh, I guess there's charges that can be brought against you for stuff like that. And she was going to charge me. Um, everything um, kind of fell to the wayside when her and her daughter and I started cheering together, though. So that was good. But it just kind of shows how against authority that I was, you know. Um, I was always the popular kid. You know, I never had um, problems with friends, making friends or anything like that. Um, in eighth grade, um, it was kind of, I think a bit of a turning point. My mom had always been a stay at home mom. We lived 40 miles outside of Houston, Texas, and my mom decided to go back to work and she would commute, um, to and from with my dad, who also worked in Houston, um, five days a week, they would leave at like five in the morning, get home at 6.30 at night. So it was me and my two older brothers that just kind of ran the roost. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that was a pretty crucial time looking back. I think, um, you know, there was just a lot of room for error, if you will. So, um, and we made errors. Um, it was eighth grade that um, I first started using drugs. I think it was a year or two prior, I did drink wine, snuck wine at a family wedding. Um, but in eighth grade, I would try marijuana and uh, mushrooms. And I definitely, the biggest part for me was hanging out. It was older people that introduced me to it. And I just... Thought it was very cool but nothing really took too much at that time I would smoke weed here and there um but my freshman year um I got kind of picked up by the older crew which I of course you think is just the coolest thing and um so all my friends were two years older than me and the reason that I share that is it'll become significant later um so freshman year uh Definitely a lot of pot, a lot of alcohol, and all my experiences with alcohol, I was a blackout. Um, and I never enjoyed my behavior on it. You know, I would hear stories about myself the next day, and it was just so embarrassing. Um, so I had fun, did crazy things, but was also keeping my shit together. I was always an athlete. Soccer and cheerleading were my main um, and those things ten tended to keep me out of trouble. Um, my sophomore year, I would find acid and I really loved acid. Um, so my friends would test it on me and they'd have me take it an hour before. And if I started crying from laughing so hard, then they knew it was good. Um, so I, I that was my, uh, probably the first one that I, I really, first drug that I really enjoyed. Um, along with that, I was a regular cigarette smoker at that time and um, smoked pot regularly. And um, 
would start taking pills. Uh, lots of Rufies, Valium, Xanax, um, whatever I could get my hand on. Um, but it was more of a weekend party type thing situation still. The cigarettes were daily. The pot would sometimes be in during the week. But I was still pretty much holding myself pretty well, um, considering. So um, everything kind of got crazy um, thereafter. It was um, the end of my sophomore year. I, I took a couple big blows. Um, one, uh, I was not approved to cheer because of behavior. Um, so all my friends went on to varsity cheer. I didn't get a go. And it was just a really big blow to my ego. Um, also, um, I had a really big blow to my ego with soccer uh, that year as well. Um, both of them really, really affected my self-esteem. Um, another big thing that happened is uh, the kid, the uh, older people that I told you I was hanging out with, they just graduated. So now they're going off all to college and I'm stuck um, by myself at school because all the friends that I grew up being friends with, I totally shit on when the older kids pick me up freshman year. So I could have gone back with my tail between my legs and apologized, but I was just too embarrassed. I didn't, um, you know, I was just bummed that my friends left and, um, you know, both Exercise is just huge in my history. When I'm exercising consistently, I'm just doing better. Happier person, staying out of more trouble, um, the whole nine. So when those sports were taken from me, um, it, it was just, there was just too much time on, on my hands. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a, definitely a very sad year for me. So between sophomore and junior year, um, I was fortunate enough to um, be very, very close to uh, the local dealer um, of pretty much everything, but mostly cocaine and ecstasy. And so it would be in between my sophomore and junior year that I would try both of those. And that's when everything got really gnarly, really, really fast. Um, this is, uh, yeah. So like I said, it was very abundant. Um, just something you couldn't even imagine as, you know, a youngster. And it was very appealing to me. These people were a little bit older than me. Um, I came from, you know, a middle-class home, maybe lower middle-class. And um, these people came from the same type of backgrounds, but all of a sudden they're driving these pimp-ass cars. They have this incredible beach house. They're wearing Armani clothes. Um, and they're just breaking off the off of the ounce to give me whatever I need. And it's just free blow all the time. And um, it was extremely excessive. And um, one of the biggest things I think appeals was of course you start losing weight. So that was, you know, uh, a very appealing aspect of it to me, um, but also just fitting in. And then I'm going to share this, um, and it's kind of detailed, 
um, a little bit. Um, but the reason why is because it was definitely a, a turning point for me. Um, I was hanging out uh, one night with these group of older people and um, a gentleman took off, broke out an eight, an eight ball into to threes and asked me to, told, told me this, you know, can you think you could snort that in one line? Um, and I did without a problem. And after that, they called me Hoover. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, this is what I can do better than everybody. No one can do drugs like me. Um, and you know, that this is something going on that's very subconscious, you know, I'm, you know, uh, but it definitely is, I've forgotten a lot of things over the years and I've never forgotten that. Um, so within that year, I would pretty much, it was very rare that I would go to school. Definitely no homework was done. <clears throat> um, partying is now an everyday occurrence. Um, and then soon I become, uh, yep, soon um, I would become a runaway. So I ran away from home um, with the, moved in uh, to the fancy beach house I spoke of. And um, one day waking up after a party, um, I found a bag with a couple ounces of blow and 248 X pills. And I had thought that it belonged to this real dickhead from the night before. Um, so I stole it. And 24 hours later, I realized that it belonged to people that I actually really cared about. But it was too late. I was dove in deep, ended up <clears throat> moving running away from there to a beach house that had holes in the floor, um, totally squatting and um, just doing mass amounts of drugs. And the funny thing is the drug that when I first started, um, I really, they gave me confidence. They uh, made me, just feel more comfortable around people, yada, yada. Um, it was about this time that um, that comfort was no longer there. And the drug was very much using me with the joy was being taken away. Don't get me wrong. There was some good times with that, but um, it was looking back, it was mostly really, really dark. So I'm squatting at this house doing all of these drugs, worried that somebody was gonna, you know, come find me and find them at any moment. <clears throat> the person that I cared about had to, um, you know, come up with the money to, so, it, you know, it's just, it cost him a lot of money. So it was uh, just a really unfortunate thing. And somebody that was kind of upset about the situation told my parents where I was squatting. And I was, picked up by CPS and taken to my first treatment center. Um, I would stay there for 30 days. Oh, another thing that I didn't mention in there is all through that year um, that I was a runaway and, and or if I was home, um, uh, I just totally lost my train of thought there. I apologize. Um, totally lost it. Um, so anyways, we'll just, we'll just, um, start at treatment. So yeah. So, um, oh, what I was going to say, this is what it is. Ding, ding. 
uh, I became a major shoplifter, big time. Like we're talking about thousands of dollars a day. So when I went to treatment, it was specifically for cocaine, pills, marijuana, and the shoplifting. Um, when I found out where they were trying to take me, um, I tried to jump out of the vehicle. So I would end up riding the 90 minute drive in leather shackles from ankles to wrist. When I got there and I saw my parents sitting there sobbing because they're seeing their daughter an absolute total wreck. I mean, you have to think I've been living off, you know, two ounces of blow and 248 X pills. So it was, it was gross. And I spit in my parents' face. And then I told the rehab that my parents abused me and um, that's why I was there. So, and that I wasn't a drug addict, all kinds of crap. Um, so I was really, really hurting my family at this time, like bad. Um, so I got out of treatment and did some IOP. Um, and I think I stayed off cocaine for a little bit. I started messing around with it again for a couple of months, but then I met a guy who absolutely hated hard drugs. Um, so he and I uh, would go on to date all through my senior year and um, a year and a half after high school as well. Um, so I wouldn't do cocaine for that amount of time. Instead, we were very, very serious about acid. Um, and when I say serious, um, we were collectors of sorts of it. Um, we had a, a large supply of it at all times. So, um, you know, 10 hits acid, 10 hits, or 10, 10 hits of acid with 10 roofies was just a normal Monday night for us, you know, it was really extreme. And then, um, in 1997, New Year's 97, five of us ate 20 hits of acid. And one of the guys just kind of lost his marbles and they're still not really there. So it was just an intense style of living. I got really, really skinny, which I loved that part. Um, I think everyone thought I was still a cokehead, but I wasn't. Um, but it was all day, every day ingesting <clears throat> acid, pills, booze, and tons and tons of herb. <clears throat> so um, about a year and a half after um, high school, uh, we moved from my small town in Texas up to Austin. And we met a lot of people quickly because we uh, were herb growers and <clears throat> brought a lot, excuse me, a lot of good pot to the town. <clears throat> so it wasn't hard to make friends. And <clears throat> of course, you're going to make party friends. Um, and that's just what we did. Um, the partying continued. It was extremely excessive <clears throat> and probably picked up a notch a bit. Um, we would soon make a couple of girlfriends and quickly leave my boyfriend and move in with them. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry. So, um, when I moved in with the girls, uh, cocaine came back in quite quickly. Um, it wasn't anything too excessive at the time, uh, but 
<clears throat> lots of drinking, lots of pot, um, lots of acid, tons of pills, <clears throat> and some pretty frequent cocaine evenings, you know. Um, I'm going to take a drink of water, excuse me. Maybe I'll stop clearing my throat through the whole interview here. So, um, so yeah, living in Austin and um, the group of girls that I met, <clears throat> yeah, they partied a bit when they were younger, but they are still my best friends to this day. They are not addicts, they're normies. And they um, have supported me for the past 21 years in my addiction. They are still there, haven't faltered a bit. So super, super grateful for them. And um, then I met another guy. So um, met this guy. He was a big musician in town. And um, that was just not the type of person that I should date. I'm a very jealous person. Um, and oh gosh, I would get crazy, uh, crazy, crazy jealous until I realized that if I did a bunch of cocaine that I would talk so much during the show, I would forget about the groupies and I wouldn't be watching the stage to see who's flirting with them, yada, yada. So cocaine came back in a very big way. About this time, I also started opiates, which um, to this day are, are my biggest struggle. <clears throat> um, so I would start taking a insane amount of Norcos and I waited tables. Um, so it was very easy to party at work and I wouldn't work unless I had party stuff. So it was usually me just high as a kite on Norcos all day. And then come evening time, I do a bunch of cocaine and go out and watch my boyfriend's band. Um, and it got really, really bad. Um, I eventually started uh, injecting and um, I was pretty much self-taught. You know, back in those days, not everyone had a computer in the home and I was a drug addict. So I most certainly did not. Um, so there was no internet to look up how to do it. My friends don't party like that. Um, so it was just me on my own. And it was, it was really, really gnarly. <clears throat> I'd say about in these days, I was probably about an eight ball a day, um, typically. And then, you know, all the Norcos and tons of booze. Um, but when I started injecting, it got really bad, really quick. And one day I went to um, the gas station late at night and two of my friends, one of them was actually in the band with uh, my boyfriend at the time and, and his girlfriend ran into me at the gas station about 3 a.m. And I was, my arms were covered in blood. So I went to go pay for my cigarettes and I had blood all over from injecting. Um, and I didn't know. So the next day I woke up and uh, she's amazing for having done this. She went home after that, stayed up all night, uh, found an affordable rehab in Austin that I could go to, <clears throat> did all the footwork for my mom. Um, so she could just be like, look, Adana's in trouble again. She needs to get help Found this place. So she did everything. It was amazing. But I wake up <clears throat> somebody jumping on my bed and just saying, Hey, you're going to treatment. And, um, you know, 
your boyfriend and your mom are downstairs and I told them everything. Well, she didn't fully know everything, but my boyfriend would soon learn when they did the intake at the treatment facility. Um, and he learned that I was smoking meth at times. Um, I would smoke meth to come down. Oh shit. Already that late. Okay. So I apologize. You guys, uh, Willie just let me know I have five minutes and I've really gone on way too long. So I'm going to try to pack this up. Um, so that time I just, I wasn't ready. Um, you know, I, I think I was 23 at the time. Um, in my opinion, I was way too young, yada, yada. So, um, wasn't really ready to get better. Um, then I quickly got into, um, stronger opiates, including heroin. Um, now that time I, back then I had only done it a couple of times. And the first time I OD'd and the girl told me if I didn't wake, she told me the next day, if you hadn't woke up, I was going to drag you out to the dumpster. Cause I'm not going to lose my kid over you. So it was just that kind of life that I was living. Um, I didn't have any clean time or anything after that, um, but I would not get back into cocaine. Um, I did have my first child and only child at the age of 28. Um, I had some complications uh, associated with uh, this infection and had to get on pain pills. Had, I mean, because Lord knows I was super excited about it, but I really had gotten it back, you know, was doing better. Um, was away from the hard drugs, um, but now I was in need for once of my favorite drug, which is opiates. And uh, it was really, really bad. Uh, <clears throat> it was my jam was like forty a day, <clears throat> like just really bad. Um, I would end up going to four detox centers during that time and eventually ended up at a 30 day treatment center where I would go on to have in a year and a half of recovery. And I was very happy. Um, and all things were good. <clears throat> then we moved from Austin to Phoenix and away from all of my friends and family. And I quickly, quickly picked up alcohol. Um, though alcohol was always present in fact, I should say that I've actually, even though all the treatment centers that I've gone to, that I was in, you know, put in there for drug use, I've never been able to be treated for drugs. I had to be treated for the alcohol because the alcohol was so excessive. So I would just have to come off heroin on my own. Um, it was really gnarly. So um, I moved to Phoenix, quickly picked up alcohol. First couple of years, it was okay, but... Um, you know, I really thought that I could get away with just drinking because I was never big into hangovers and stuff. That's why I picked drugs. Um, so, you know, I just thought it would work. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew it wouldn't. Fast forward four and a half years later, <clears throat> I've become such an extreme isolator. I haven't left the house in three years um, because... Um, I've become completely frightened of people all these years through my addiction, telling myself really, really horrible self, um, self-talk, just really bad self-talk. Um, so <clears throat> it was bad. I wouldn't leave the house and um, was consuming insane amounts of alcohol. 
um, as well as Adderall and Valium and tons of weed. <clears throat> so I would end up, excuse me, in treatment um, January 17th, 2020. I would be released March 2020 into the introduction of COVID, the COVID restrictions. So um, my entire uh, relapse plan, uh, recovery plan, just went to shit. Um, the gyms weren't open for me to go to. Um, meetings weren't available. Um, and this little isolator just sank right back deep into isolation, not being able to break the habits that needed so badly to be broken. And I would end up relapsing after <clears throat> about four months. And I would go back out June, July, August, September, October. Um, my clean and sober date is November 9th of 2021. And um, that's when I got clean and sober for good. So I'm now at almost six months and um, I'm happy. You know, there's days that are really, really difficult, but they pale in comparison to the miserable life of addiction. Um, it, you know, uh, I was an all day, every day user since 16 years old. Um, so being without it and not being able to numb, it can be, you know, overwhelming at times. So things that I do, um, to make sure that everything sticks is I have to get my fitness in. Now, first few months, I didn't do great with that. Um, but now I have a very good regimen that I've been doing for several months and that helps me a really great deal. Um, I do do AA. Um, there's all different ways that people heal, but um, AA definitely works for me. I have a great sponsor. Um, and interestingly enough, IG, um, the Instagram community, the alcohol-free, the drug-free community on there is just insane. Um, so all of my feed that I see every day is just inspirational stuff and other people getting better and inspiring me. Um, so it, I never thought social media would help me, but in, in this aspect, it really has. So, um, I'm living a better life today and I'm very proud of where I'm at and I'm most excited about where it's all going to take me. And if you um, want to follow me on Instagram, it is recovering underscore hooligan. Um, there's just a really great community so of sober people. If you're not involved, I, I really encourage you to um, get more involved. And I can tell you some great people to follow. Yes. Thank you for sharing your story, Adana. That's what's up. We're excited about where your life's going to, where you're just an amazing person. It was so much fun talking to her yeah. both times. Like, like we, we ended up talking twice. <laughs> she wasn't, she wasn't convinced this one was good enough, but I think it was great. And so yeah, I thank think you so, so much. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in early sobriety, she, she doesn't have very much time. And so that can, that's just a perfect example to show like the amount of courage that you can have and the amount 
of identification that we can share regardless of how much time you oh, have. Oh yeah. Like I identified with a ton in her story. Yeah. Like there's, you know, she talked about the ADD thing right off the bat. I was like, yep, that, I mean, and that was me too. And that was really like the first instance where I felt like I wasn't like the other kids. Yeah. It was like, oh, I, I, I have a thing. Yeah. Well, right. you were medicated for yeah. a very, very for long, a very long time. Yeah. yeah. On and off throughout yeah. the years. But yeah, for, for the majority of the time, like I would say 70% medicated from the time of 14. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I identified with that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and it was fun talking to her too, because, you know, we're, we're really close to the same age, like, uh, that same era generation oh. of party. Like there was so much, and you know, when, when she got called Hoover, you know, one of the things that, that we partied hard on our birthdays, like that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, everybody got you fucked up as they could on oh, your yeah. birthday. Remember the shit you used to get for your birthday? Yeah. You get fucking dope and mm-hmm. just dumb shit. But, you know, that, that was a big part of it. And all of that stuff fed the disease. Oh, yeah. The ego part, you know, because like, yeah. I, what did she she say? I'm finally good at something. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to be the best at this. I'm going to be the best at this. this yeah. Is finally something that I can do. Yeah. And it wrecked her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it mean, took her to a new place, like, because she, she embraced it. Yeah. And man, when we embrace those negative traits, like, we're really fucking done for. Yeah. Like, the minute that we start accepting it and bring it into our being, I mean, what's, to, why would we change it? Like, yeah, that's exactly. who we are now. Yeah. So it's, it becomes a scary turning point. Yeah. It's our identity, right? Yeah. Where, where her sports were taken away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's left to do? Yeah. The yeah. party. And cause she wanted so long. And that's the thing that I really identified with too, is that she just sort of never felt like she fit in. Like sure. she was kind of going through these different social circles. Eventually she found the older crowd. They were into partying and, and then they left to go to college. Yeah. And then she's just like, well, what do I do? Like what? you know, like, what do I do now? You know? And so really kind of messed her up. Like she, she, she kept finding herself in these moments where she'd sort of be the last one standing. Like, you know, what do I do? And then more. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Like I'll take my mind off it with this. Yeah. You know, and I can identify with more, Mm -hmm. you know, more, more, more. Yeah. More. And, and, you know, finding, finding the ones that work the best for us. Right. That's kind of that's kind of the hope as as we go through, because we find that relief early on. You know, it works early on. Yeah. And then we continue to try to find that relief. And so what do we do? We up the stakes right? Yep. like like go from fucking only doing natural shit into, OK, now we're going to fucking up the stakes to, you know, chemicals. Yeah. But only certain ones. Right. And, and now I'll, I'll do that, but I'll never do this. Right. Yeah. Like like. Okay, I'll do cocaine, but I'm never doing meth. Yeah, you know? we, no. we, and we talk about this so no. much. Like, we hear it so much. Yeah. Like, we always have these lines that we won't cross, and then all of a sudden we're crossing them, and we just move we yeah. move the line a little bit. Yeah. You know? and, and that's exactly what she did. Mm-hmm. You know, she kept moving it. But she was she was great at, like, hiding it from the, the right people. Like, you know, because even her boyfriend in the band didn't know that she was fucking doing all this stuff. None yeah. of her friends knew that she was shooting up. Right. Because they, they weren't that kind they, they weren't those kinds of friends. Yeah. And I, and I think about that too. Like I can only imagine like, cause I had a group of friends and we were all into some stuff, you know, like some of us were worse than others, 
but I can't imagine like, you know, like finding out that one of those friends was like shooting up this whole time. Yeah. And like, Oh wow. You know, or trying to shoot up without those friends knowing. Yeah. You know, it, it, well, that's what's so great about like the recovery community, you know, and I've shared about, about my early, early, uh, experiences with Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous was, you know, I went into those meetings and people were talking about the things that I was keeping secret and, and I'm not talking about keeping secret from my parents. I'm right. talking about keeping secret from the people I was using with, yeah. you know, and the people that I was fucking on the streets with, like I was keeping shit secret from everybody. Yeah. Isolated. Right. Even in the drug isolated. World. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because even, even the druggies would reject me. <laughs> if, if, if you got to know me, even the junkies would fucking reject me. You know, that was my belief structure. Yeah. You know? and, and so I have to keep hidden. Yep. I have to, you know, until I find a solution around people in a community that's built up around us. Like it talks about in the big book, you know, of Alcoholics Anonymous this community springs up around me of like-minded people that have suffered like I have and have found a solution. Yeah. And that's what she found online after, you know, going into treatment this last time, you know, cause her first, the, the, her first experience she shared, you know, like fucking spitting on her parents. Yeah. And I can imagine, I, I, I can put myself in that situation and say, I can see, I can see doing that when you're just in, you're that far gone. Like you're that lost and you're just that, sick and you're and and somebody is taking that away from you and you are trying desperately to do whatever you can to to control that situation by spitting on them like making false claims like whatever like i'm gonna say all this so that you guys will stop and get me back to let me do what i was doing yeah it was working (laughs) you know like (laughs) and and now what was it yeah was it though i mean you know what i mean but yeah and and now and now i've got to face all this stuff and i don't want to look at it yeah, and I don't and want, I don't want to quit using. Yeah, uh, uh, on top of all that, mm-hmm. and so, you know. But then, then finally going into another one, and then several detoxes later, you know, going through her pregnancy and and getting getting back on the opiates, which was her go to. Yeah, mine you know? too. Mine and too. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, you know, then being released in the heights of COVID, just. Like put her in the place where she's at today. Yeah. You know, even though it wasn't a perfectly straight line, you know, she's got six months of solid recovery now. And, uh, she's, she's a huge, she, she's huge on the, on the Instagram recovery community that I follow. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, another great example of what can be done regardless of the situation around you. Yeah. Right. Like we are going to get fucking high. If we decide we're going to get high, there's no fucking stopping us. And right. we're going to get clean. Once we decide we're going to get clean, there's no fucking stopping us. Right. The, I think, I think the important thing is having the community, having the support group where it's well received when we go, I'm feeling fucked up and I want to isolate. And we have people going, yeah, I get that. Let's go to a meeting. Yep. Yep. Let's not. I heard that. Let's not isolate today. You know, it's not, it's not good. It's, it's, <laughs> and I just, I just, you know, really appreciated hearing that part of her story. Cause that's how it gets. Like she, she was just so far removed from even, even the people in her lives that were doing the same thing that she was just like, no, I'm just going to drink at home. Yeah. You know, like, and, and yeah, that's how it gets, you know, that's how it was. That's how it is. Yeah. You know, that's how it can be. Yeah. So, it's a great, 
Yeah. Great story. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You did great. Yeah. You, you did great. Yeah. Yeah. Would you knock it off? <laughs> you did fine. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's been an honor. So yeah, it was great. Good show. Yeah. Good don't show isolate, today. Cameron. Don't isolate. Okay. Meditate. Don't isolate. Oh man. Yeah, I like that. Let's put that on a shirt. Yeah. Should we? New other side of hell shirt. Meditate. Don't isolate. Meditate. Don't isolate. Or masturbate. So, <laughs> so I just thought of things that rhymed. Well, good job. <laughs> Congratulations. It's worked. That's the second version. So. Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah, thank you. As always, our our picture behind you is gonna fall. It's it's moving around. Oh, no, yeah. we'll fix it. Yeah, we'll get you guys it can't up. see. Don't, Some of you don't, can't see. Don't worry we'll about our it. set. We'll we'll get it. We'll get it figured out. Oh, here it goes. It's gonna fall. <laughs> All on film. Got it. Got it. Fixed. Good to go. So we're gonna fix that and then. We'll see. Yeah, we'll do we're, this again. We're gonna we're gonna take a little break from from the show now and fix our set. And, uh, see you on the other side. Remember, you are worth the work, and so is our set. The other side of hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.